My subject this morning, of course, is the Lord's Supper. You're going to hear some things that are maybe just a little bit different than what you normally have heard in the past. Uh, and I hope that as we read the Bible, as we look at the Bible, you'll see exactly what I'm trying to teach you now. The Bible says that the whole Lord's Supper ties into the body of Christ. There is one Lord, there is one Spirit, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one Father, God of all. And you and I are a part of that family. There are millions and millions of Christians around the world that are gathering together today to just to celebrate the Lord. But I want to ask you a question. Do you understand what we are doing when we are partaking of the Lord's Supper? The reason I ask that question is because there's a lot of misunderstandings that have developed through the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> when I was a young pastor, I put out a, a monthly newsletter. And in that monthly newsletter, I would tell them exactly when we were having communion. Now, as a young pastor, um, I wasn't aware of a lot of things, but my first communion service that I held, uh, I noticed that there were some people that didn't come. And then I noticed that there were some, right before we got to the the bread and the, and the wine, they, uh, they left. Uh, it was all kind of during my prayer, I think, when they left, because when I woke up, when I looked up, I should say, some people were missing. And so I wanted to find out why. Why they did not come and why they left early. And then I found out that they felt that they were not worthy because of the way that they were living or maybe some things that they were doing and they didn't want to be a hypocrite. And so they didn't partake of the service. Churches around the world, they have a tendency to, uh, when it comes to the communion service before the bread and the wine, they ask the people to examine themselves before they partake of the communion service. In some churches, they dim the lights to sort of create an atmosphere of maybe repentance or, or maybe just evaluating what your relationship is with God. And some of them, they will tell you that if, if everything is not right, then now is the time to make it right. Now is the time for you to ask for, for God for forgiveness. And then if you do that, you qualify to take the Lord's Supper. But if you haven't examined yourself, 
and you haven't confessed your sins, and if you are living a life that you shouldn't be living, then when the cup comes by, just let it pass. Don't take communion. I mentioned before that I visited a church in West Virginia where they only take the Lord's Supper once a year. And there was a friend of mine who happened to be going to that church, and he came over to me when he saw me, and he said, when the bread and the wine comes by, don't take it. He said, I'll explain to you afterwards. And so the bread came through, the wine came through, and I noticed that nobody was taking it. And then afterwards, he explained to me that the communion service was for the 144,000, and they were worthy, and you and I are not. Some churches, they provide you a list to help you to examine yourself. Now, why would they do such a thing? Well, they say that it is to help you examine, examine your life. Whether Maybe they're not sure whether they should examine the past day or the past week or the past month or even the past year. And so they provide this list, and they say that it's, it's in the Bible. Well, <clears throat> the list is not in the Bible, but it certainly is in the Bible about a man examining himself. And we're going to look at that this morning before the communion service. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So here it is. A man must examine himself. Now, what is the Bible talking about here? This has become a tradition in the Christian church that we are to examine our lives and make sure that everything is right between us and God and if it isn't, now is the time to confess it. Now is the time to, to get your sins forgiven, get clean, and get right with God. And then you will qualify for the Lord's Supper. Well, no wonder some people skip church on communion or left early. I mean, if they're part of the family and they've, they've got some issues whatever they're doing, and they let that cup pass, those people around are going to think, uh-oh, and they're going to try to connect the dots. I wonder what's wrong with them. I wonder what's wrong with him or her. What does it mean to examine yourself? I'm afraid that we have taken this text out of context and it does not mean what we think it means. Now, I want you to keep in mind some things. Because the Lord's Supper is a time for us to come and we're supposed to remember. Remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So I'm going to ask you before I get into this message to remember something. Remember that Jesus Christ died on on the cross for the sins of the world. 
the past, the present, the future. You've heard me say over and over again, today it is not the sin issue. Christ died for the sins of the world so that nobody is going to be lost because of sin. The Bible says it's only going to be because of unbelief. So, let's take a look at what he has already done. The Bible says that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he cleaned house. He came to dwell in you, so he cleaned house. How did he clean house? He took all your sins and buried them into the depths of the sea, and he remembers them no more. So you are clean. Then he gave you a new heart, and it was a pure heart, and it still is. He's given you a new spirit, and don't think that somehow at the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ, who has forgiven all your sins, is going to ask you to do something that he has already done. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. But in giving this instruction, Paul says, is writing to the Corinthians, in giving you this instruction, this is the only place in the Bible where we are instructed how to take communion. He says, in giving you this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. That's, pretty, some, that's some pretty harsh language. So, He's, he's saying to us, he's saying to the Corinthians that you have a problem. And now remember that Paul is writing to this Corinthian church that has a lot of issues. The church is full of division. It's full of immorality. They're quarreling about almost everything. They're bragging about who baptized who and all sorts of craziness. And then they were even defrauding their own church members. And Paul said, I'm sorry, I can't praise you. What you are doing is wrong. And you are not coming together as a body. And so in verse 18, he says this. For in the first place, when you come together as a church... I hear, Paul says, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, because he's getting letters and people are stopping by telling him, and in part, I believe it. Now, if you tell me differently, well, then I'll rethink it. But right now, I know or I feel that there is a problem. Now, keep in mind that in the early believers, they, they met in homes. It was relatively a small number of people, and they met to have a supper. It's like our fellowship dinner. It's like a potluck. And the people who had a lot of food, they brought a lot of food. And they had, it was a full meal. And then the poor people, they came 
And they were thrilled and excited to have a good meal. Maybe it was the best meal of the week that they had, or whatever, how oftentimes they met. And, and had, there was a problem there because um, some people were coming early. And you can read it. It's all there in Corinthians. They, were coming er, they came early, and they, they ate all the food and drank all the wine. And then the, when the poor people came and there was nothing for them, the Bible says to the Corinthians, you shamed them by what you did. You shamed them. You shamed the poor. And Paul said, look what you're doing. Look what you're doing. He says, you know, I've heard about it. I believe it. Now, he says, you need to examine yourself on what you are doing. What are you doing to the, to the body, to the church? And then in verse 19 and 20, the Bible says this. For there must also be fractions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. What they were doing, what, is, what it means is that they, there was fractions, there was... Not, you know, here, even in our fellowship here, not all of us believe exactly the same. On the fundamentals, I think that we do, but not, we don't all believe the same. But they were coming together and they were arguing about it. Quarreling about it. And so Paul says, you, what you do, what you're doing now is not necessary. You shouldn't be doing it. It's wrong. You are not doing what you should be doing at the Lord's Supper. And verse 21 sort of puts it all in perspective. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. And one is hungry, and the other is what? Drunk. Drunk. Paul is saying you need to examine yourself. You need to examine what you're doing. What you're doing is wrong. And what have we done? We have taken this examining ourselves out of context and what we have done, we've made it the center point of whether you qualify to even take the Lord's Supper. And this is not what the Bible's talking about. It's not talking about that at all. For even, I mean, this idea about examining yourself, yes, you can apply this text. You can apply it to yourself. If you are coming early to the Lord's Supper and eating all the food and stuffing yourself, and you're drinking the wine and getting drunk, and you're causing confusion and division in the church, yes, you can apply this text. But if you're not doing that, examining yourself is not talking about you. And then, then Paul says this. You know, we would expect him to really get on them or scold them. But he says this, what? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? 
Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I will never do it. I'll not praise you. What you are doing is wrong. He says, look, if you're that hungry, you have a house. These poor people, some of them don't have homes. You have a house. Eat before you come here. And then you will bless the poor because they came here for a meal and they would have one. And right now you're coming early, you're scarfing up all the food, you're drinking all the wine, they come, they're embarrassed because they didn't come with any food, and you shamed them. That's exactly what you did, you shamed them. And then Paul goes on to explain how we take the Lord's Supper. He says, for I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Somehow, I think we've got some confusion there. If we're spending a large part of the communion service examining ourselves, I mean, Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me, not you, of me. The Lord's Supper is about remembering what God has done for you. That's what it's all about. We're to focus on the cross. The Lord's Supper is about a great celebration. It's celebrating what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago when he took our sins away. Just as John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he says, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's what we should be celebrating. We shouldn't be examining whether we have sin or anything else. We're talking to the one who took away the sins of the world. It seems like we've got that a little bit confused. In verse 25, the Bible says this. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So here again, it's a wonderful call for us to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. The shed blood. And that's why we look to the new covenant as a new life for the Christian. The old covenant. The new covenant is built on better promises. What are those better promises? I've taken your sins and buried them in the depths of the sea. They didn't have that in the old covenant. The old covenant, their sins were covered. The new covenant, the sins are taken away and remembered them no more. And look how many Christians feel that at the judgment seat, I don't know whether they think a big TVC screen is going to come on, but all their sins are going to be revealed. No, that's not going to happen. 
we have passed through the judgment. That's the new covenant. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. What is an unworthy manner here? Well, we've read it. We've read it. If you're getting drunk, if you're passing out, if you're eating all the food, if you're getting sick, you are not partaking of the Lord's Supper and you are taking, I shouldn't say, if you're doing that, you're taking it in an unworthy manner. It has nothing to do with your sins. But, the Bible says a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. So what is the Bible talking about here? What is this judgment? It's certainly not the great white throne judgment in Revelation. That's certainly not it. You and I have passed through the judgment. There is no judgment for the Christian. So what is the Bible talking about here when it says about the judgment? And what's the body? Well, the judgment is not by God, that's for sure. It's from the body. It's from the church. If you come to the Lord's Supper and you're getting drunk, the body of believers will judge you. If you're eating all the food and neglecting the poor, the body of believers will judge you. If you're eating, if you're doing all these things, contrary to what, what God wants you to do, listen, what this is talking about is church discipline. This is not talking about God judging you. This is church, church discipline, and you bring it on yourself. Now, there's one thing that you, we need to understand about church discipline. Discipline is to disciple. They come from the same root word. Disciple and discipline. So the church discipline is simply to disciple. What does disciple mean? The disciple means to come alongside of an individual that's having some issues. And helping, encouraging, doing everything possible that you can in love to help that Christian brother or sister get on with their life. That's what church discipline is. In verse 30, it says this. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Now, what does this mean? Well, we know that if you stuff yourself, like some of us did on Thanksgiving, it doesn't take long, and we want to sleep. We just want to take a nap. 
Our digestive system is working overtime. So, many are weak and sick, and a number sleep. Now, sleep in the Bible is a metaphor for death. So, what was happening there? I mean, we don't know absolutely for sure, but as far as the scholars can tell anyway, they were gluttons, they were, they were coming to this communion service, uh, eating as much as they can, drinking as much as they can, they were getting drunk. Um, there was a problem, there was a very serious problem. And in fact, I come from Minnesota, born and raised in Minnesota, northern, in northern Minnesota, there is a rehab for priests that are alcoholics. And they come from all over the country because they give mass and they drink real wine. We drink Welsh's grape juice. Now, nobody, nobody gets drunk on Welsh's grape juice. So we don't have that problem about getting drunk at, uh, at communion service. Um, but they drank the real stuff. And uh, some of them may have been al alcoholics and some of them may have died. They may had, well, the Bible uses that sleep as a metaphor, they may have died. They died alcoholics. That's possible. Um, God didn't kill them. Um, I've heard, uh, I heard craziness sometimes that people thought that if you didn't do everything right at communion service, that God would kill you at communion. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. In verse 31, the Bible says this, For if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So if we did things right, who wouldn't judge us? The body, the church. It all makes sense. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So what does this mean, discipline by the Lord? Well, Scripture teaches us that church discipline is essential. It's a must. In Matthew, we're told to confront and reprove. In Acts, we are told of the seriousness of sin within the body, within the church. And in Corinth, we're to judge open sin that affects the body. That's all the church can do. They can't, we're not supposed to judge anybody. But when it comes to open sin against the body, against the church body, then we can judge and there's discipline. And the Lord, working through the church, disciplines. And so we are disciplined by the Lord through the church. And again, let me stress it again. The purpose of discipline is to disciple. Whenever we discipline anybody in the church, we show them the love of the Lord Jesus Christ like they have never seen before. They've never experienced before. 
They have fellow believers gather around them because they're part of a family. We're part of, this is our family right here. We're part of a family. And we take care of each other. We look after each other. That's what the body is for. If we're not doing that, then Paul is saying to us, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. I'll tell you, discipline is a beautiful thing because it's discipling us. It's helping us. It's helping us grow. I have been disciplined myself by church members, and I've appreciated every single time they have. So then, and this is, this is the conclusion of the whole matter. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Don't get there early and eat all the food. Don't get there early and get drunk. Wait. Wait for everybody. It's pretty simple, isn't it? The Bible is pretty plain. But for some reason, we have made this into a checklist on whether you are worthy to actually take the Lord's Supper. You are a born-again Christian. I don't care what you're going through, what is happening. You are worthy. You are worthy. Christ loves you just the way you are. He's changing us all. He's changing us. Let him do it. Don't you worry about it. He'll do it. He'll do it. Then the Bible says, For if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. What judgment? The judgment of the church, the church body. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. This is not talking about God's judgment. Jesus Christ took all the punishment for sin on the cross. There is no more punishment to the believer. It's over. It's over. We've passed through it. Christ brought us through it. And so it's only talking about the judgment of the church. And the judgment of the church only applies to open sin of the church. That's all. The Lord's Supper is a celebration. And it's a beautiful one. It's a reminder of everything that God says is true. That's the beautiful part about it. When we take part of the... When we take part partake of the bread, I should say, and when we partake of the wine, it's a tremendous experience. We are a family, and we are celebrating what the Lord did for us as a family, what he's doing for us as a family, and what he's doing for us individually. It's a tremendous service. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you. We celebrate what you have done for us and what you are doing in us and through us. Bless us now, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.